sido. Well, good morning. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Yep, <clears throat> just a little bit more light in the room. I can see, I can see them, so that'd be great. Um, well, it's going to be 80 degrees this week and a lot warmer this week, so we have an amen right here. Yeah, ready for, for it to be a little bit warmer. I've kind of enjoyed the cool weather and the nice spring that we've had so far. Um, a lot of times in North Carolina, we jump from like, winter to like a day or maybe five minutes of spring and then summer like is is what we do but but it's been nice to have some cooler temperatures but warm this week uh i have a um little a small hydroponic garden in my house and i've grown some um uh i forgot what i've grown anyway whatever plant that is Basil. I've grown some basil, had to transplant it into a pot, and now I'm looking forward to sitting it outside so it can get sun and, and continue to grow. So anyway, you know, it's the little things, right? Um, a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> I well, a few days ago, it's really just all a blur. You ever have that moment in your life where you're just going through and you're like, you're not really sure when you found this, but you know you found it and it was recent. You're not sure if it was a week. Okay. All right. So anyway, this is an article that I found online, and um, this is what it says. Semi-truck crashes into guardrail, spills glue, glue onto I-96 in Oakland County after being cut off. And if you read through this, he, <clears throat> he thinks that someone cut him off, is what he said, and he hit this guardrail, and it moved, it, it totally wrecked the truck, and glue went all over the highway. So this happened on a Monday, and they shut down the interstate. And so from Monday all the way to, like, Tuesday evening, they were cleaning up the glue. Um, and the reason they shut down the highway was so that people would not get stuck in traffic. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I have waited so long to say that phrase, Right? In fact, this week, I had to tell the staff because it was just like, I just have to tell somebody, right? <laughs> stuck in traffic, saw this. Because actually, the first thing I thought was, oh, people got stuck in traffic. Then, yeah, okay, you don't want to know all that. All right, so turn in your Bibles. Well, don't turn in your Bibles yet. Um, how many of you like okra? Okra? Like fried okra, breaded okra? My wife, just a couple of weeks ago, did this something different with okra. She, she took okra and squash and zucchini and she put it in a bag, like she chopped it up and put it in a bag and put some spices in there and some oil in there, salt and pepper, all that kind of stuff. And then she put it out on a tray and stuck it in the oven and baked it. She flipped it over and baked it again, like on each side. It took longer than we thought it would take to do this baking process. But the okra was absolutely incredible without breading. Like, it was just really good. Now, you, I told her she needed to burn it a little bit more, like, to get all the good stuff out of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Just, just a slightly more burnt. But nonetheless, it was just really, really good. Now, we bought fresh okra, and when she was chopping it up, because um, she, she really doesn't have experience with okra. She's a good cook, but she's never done okra before. 
she showed me part of it. She said, Philip, is this bad because it doesn't look like the rest of it? I said, yeah, that's bad. Well, we need to throw that out because the inside of it was bad, but you couldn't tell by the outside. And, and so that happens with okra every now and then. Have any of you ever, like, cooked a baked potato and you cooked it for like an hour and 20 minutes, your steak is ready, your baked potato is on your, on, your, on your plate, you cut into the baked potato, and you realize that it was rotten? Has anybody had that happen before? And it's so di- disappointing because you need the baked potato with the steak, right? Because you need that texture, you need that, that thing. And so what you do in that moment, if you're like me, you look over at your wife's potato and you say, are you going to eat all that, right? And then you wind up sharing the baked potato and stuff because you didn't know that was bad on the inside. Um, well, I want you to keep that in mind as we look at James chapter 4. So turn your Bibles to James chapter 4. Inside was bad, outside looked good. Um, i <clears throat> not trying to say anything other than this. Um, I planned these sermons out a year in advance, and what I've been doing the last couple of years is about one or two times a year, I'll put on the schedule to preach whatever I'm doing my devotions in. And so today, you need to know that this passage of Scripture is what I was having my devotions in on Monday of this week, okay? And so on Monday of this week, I was doing my devotions in, in James chapter 4, and so from that, developed this sermon that I'm giving you today. So it's an inside job is what it's called, and uh, James chapter 4 verse 1 says this, <clears throat> what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That is a great question. I'm fighting with my wife, I'm fighting in my home, we're fighting in the church, what, what in the world what is causing this so that we can get to the cause and then solve the issue? So that's what James is addressing. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, <clears throat> that your passions are at war within you? So James in this passage of scripture just right up front says, the quarrels that you're having, the fights that you're having has more to do with the inside of you than it does what's going on on the outside. You are at war within your very self, and it's causing quarrels outside of you, is what he's saying. It is an inside job. In other words, you know, the baked potato looks good, but when you cut into it, there's something going on on the inside that's not good. Is everybody with me? Like, you don't want this. You want this potato over here that's better. You want this piece over here, but you are warring with yourself inside of you. And most of the time that you and I are warring inside of ourselves and we're having a war inside of ourselves, it's when we're not getting what we want, right? We're not getting what we want. Um, I'm not talking about the kid that doesn't get something at Christmas that he wanted or he didn't get the chewing gum in the, in the I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you personally inside of you didn't get what you want and then you're, you're wrestling with yourself over that. So I thought about this a little bit. What inside of me makes me go to war? Because all of us have like a little rebel flag inside of us that's waving. And at any moment, that army is going to jump to and start a war within our soul. At any moment, all of us have this. All of us do. So what inside of us do this? So I started thinking about this, okay? What inside of me? Well, 
The stuff that starts inside of me starts one or two ways. Either I start it or someone else started it inside of me. Does that make sense? Either I've started it inside of me or somebody else. So inside of me, the times that it started inside of me, it's maybe when a belief of mine have, has been challenged or rocked, not by somebody else, but like a situation. And inside of me, I'm not sure that I believe that correctly. And now I'm at war with that belief that I have. I want to hold on to that belief. But at the same time, this is happening. And all of a sudden, a war inside of me is happening because of that. Um, the second thing that happens inside of me, nobody does this to me. It's just something inside of me. A relationship that I thought was one way is actually another way. Have you ever had that happen? It has nothing to do with them. Like they are continuing to act the way that they've always act. They have not changed. But you thought you were closer to that person than you really were. Uh, it, it might come out like, uh, well, uh, I don't know why they didn't invite me to that thing. I thought we were closer than that. It's a real big celebration. I'm not really sure, you know. But maybe we're just not as close as, as I thought we were. Or they do something that is just opposite of what you thought that they would do. Like maybe you shared something with them and, and they just didn't understand, but you thought they would understand, you know? You thought their relationship was one way, but really it's another way. And so you're warring inside of yourself and it's something that you're causing inside of yourself. They're, they've actually always been the same. Um, here's another one, a secret sin you're doing. A secret sin, right? So we have this secret sin going on inside of us and we're warring. And this person over here is doing something that isn't our secret sin, but we think is worse than our secret sin. So what we do is we point our fingers at them and we say they are wrong and we're really loud about it and we're trying to get them on the right path, right? That they're just wrong. And every, every time we engage with their sin that's more public, we feel better about our little secret sin. But the reason that we're pointing our finger is because we're at war within ourselves, and we want to feel okay with the secret sin that we're doing because they are worse. Come on, right? Because they are worse. Oh, they're much worse than I am. I have this, but they are a worse sinner. Well, I, it, sin is sin, ladies and gentlemen. Right? Sin is sin. And you need to deal with yours on the inside. So, so sometimes that's what we do on the inside. Sometimes <clears throat> the inside, the war on the inside get started with something that happens outside of us, okay? For instance, <clears throat> you could have lost security at work. Like you, you had security at work. You had a job, and all of a sudden they're doing layoffs, and you're gone. You thought you meant more to the company than, than they obviously don't. They can lay you off because money was more important than Yes, right? And so they, they do that. So it's something that happens. Or security at work, maybe you thought you had more influence over your coworkers than you thought you had. And so something happens, you voice an opinion, they totally ignore you, and then, you know, you just kind of lose that security. And, and your problem there was you placed your security in your job and not Jesus, right? Your whole life revolved around that security and, and not him, um, here's another one. Someone hurt you that you didn't expect to hurt you. They, they hurt you deeply. And so you're warring with that on the inside of you. And because you're hurt, sometimes you take it out on other people that's not even involved in this hurt over here. But you're hurt inside. Um, someone, uh, uh, some change happened that you were not ready for. Or you lost someone close to you. 
Sometimes people are dealing with the grief of a loss of a mother, a father, a, a sister, a brother, a cousin. They're really struggling with that on the inside of them. And, and they attack other people just because they, they just get upset quicker. So they're upset, but it has nothing to do with what's happened. They really don't feel that way. They're just struggling with this grief, this loss that they've had, and they're really angry about it. And so they're taking it out on someone else. That, that happens sometimes. Um, and an expectation that hasn't been met. So he says here, if you're involved in some type of altercation with someone, chances are, in fact, he says in all cases, actually is what he says, if you're involved in that, chances are and you're, you are struggling within yourself. And, and so quarrels start from within you, not necessarily because of what is happening outside of you. So he continues in verse 2, right? He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. So that stopped me in my tracks. You desire and do not have, so you murder. So you think the solution to, to you struggling on the inside is actually to attack someone else and you actually murder. Now, what in the world is that? Because when I'm in a quarrel and I'm in a fight, I've never murdered anybody. I've never done that. So what does that exactly mean? Well, sometimes it means that you have murdered peace in your life. Sometimes it means that you have had a death of the harmony that you had in that relationship, a death of unity. Um, sometimes it's the death of that relationship. There are different, different deaths other than physical deaths. There are actually murders of, of all that, murders of harmony, unity, and other relationships. And it's because you are warring on your inside and you didn't handle the conflict correctly on the outside. So murder seems like that it's just a great big exaggeration to say if I am at war within myself on the inside and I'm in a quarrel, that it leads to murder. That seems like to be such a great exaggeration. But I would submit to you this morning that humans in general devalue the importance of relationships and exaggerate the importance of winning the argument. So we go after the win and not the preservation of the relationship. And in Scripture, Jesus teaches something totally different. He says that the quarrels are not right and actually sin, and the relationship is really what is to be valued. And all throughout Scripture, it's relationship, relationship, relationship. Make sure your relationships are what they're supposed to be and quit fighting among you is what is taught in Scripture. To make this point a little bit more, um, I just thought about First John chapter three. Okay, when I say, when I just thought about it, it wasn't just now. It was when I was doing my devotion. Okay, you got it. First John chapter three verses eleven through twelve. I don't know why I had to qualify that. Okay, but I did. I felt like it. It was a war on the inside of me. It just had to. And this is what it says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was the evil one and murdered his brother. We love one another and we do not sever 
relationships. That is what this is teaching. And so James says that, hey, this is, this is what happens. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if any of you ever read H.G. Wells, like War of the Worlds type stuff. So I'm the nerd. You have, thank you, thank you. We're, let me talk to you a few moments. Did you know he had another book, and it was The History of Mr. Polly? You know that? Okay, well, we're still friends, because we, we know War of the Worlds. Yeah, so Mr. Polly is a history of Mr. Polly, and when I was reading this and thinking about this, a quote from that book, or something that I just remembered, came to my mind, and this was it. Mr. Polly says, Mr. Polly was not so much a human being as a civil war. That says a lot. When you're a civil war inside of yourself, you're no longer the human that God created you to be. And somehow or another, we have to figure out how to settle down this civil war so that there can be peace inside of you, so that there can be peace in your relationships, and so that you can work through tough issues in the correct way. Okay? So, um, how many of you had a Viewmaster when you were little? How many of you had a Viewmaster when you were little? <clears throat> All right. How many of you have absolutely no idea what a Viewmaster is? No Viewmaster? Yeah. England doesn't have those. Um, I do think back when the queen was coronated, maybe she had... Actually, I have, I have a... Um, it doesn't matter. We can talk afterwards. I have a Britain type thing. I was like, okay. Anyway, Viewmasters. You might not know what a Viewmaster is. So the best way that I can describe it is that it's a, it's a thing that you, you put right here, you put a little disc in, and, and you put up here, and the light shines through, and it's 3D, okay? It's 3D. To, to, for a certain age and younger, and I'm not going to say that age because it makes me feel bad, um, it is like a virtual reality thing, but not, okay? And the 3D actually goes beyond the little thing. I have one that's battery operated that it lights within itself so that when it was dark in the car, I could go through my Viewmasters on the way to and fro to places, okay? One of the things that my parents did was not only did we have Viewmasters, but we had the Viewmaster projector. Anybody have one of these before? Yes, Viewmaster projector. This was, yeah, this was the upscale, like this is great technology. There's like four tiers of these. There's like not really bright, more bright than that one, bright and really bright, like the most bright that you could get back in the day, okay? What you're looking at right here is the second, not the first, because we didn't want to be better than everybody else. <laughs> so so, so we, we did the second one. So here's the little disc that you put inside, and um, this one is the ascension of Jesus Christ, okay? And you put it in, in, in right here, and you're going to just be amazed at, at this technology and how bright it is. It's just crazy bright. So I'm going to put it over here, and um, see? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Wait a minute. I know why you can't see it. It's not focused. Now it's focused. You see? That's not focused. That's focused. Can you see at least that, right? Because it's HD. Come on, people. It's HD, HD technology, right? You can see that. Well, that's Jesus, and um, you, you see the next, next little thing. Can you see the little, uh, now you can see the whiteness of him, because we all know that Jesus was white with blue eyes and blonde, blonde hair. So, so yeah, there it is. So this was a view projector. And so what you put inside here is what you could project. 
So Brad Ratledge, come on up. Yep, come on up. All right, I want you to stand right here, okay? Stand right here. Now, turn. Okay, hold on. There. There we go. Okay, now turn this. Turn so they can see this way. This way. Can you all see Jesus on this side? Can you see him? Can you see him? Can you all see it over there? No? Okay. Come this way. So I know it's small, but can you see Jesus? See? See him right there? See, what we often do, because we project what's inside of us on other people, don't we? So sometimes what we do as Christians is we project Jesus into the situation that's not really Jesus. For instance, Jesus right here, and you can't see this. I know you can't. You could. There's a little round thing that looks like a hat on the back. It's just a round thing. It's really a halo is what it is when you see it 3D. And Jesus never walked around the earth with a halo on. He never did that. But we often take Jesus and we project him into the situation, and Jesus is not really a part of that situation. We've made him a part of that situation. Have you ever heard somebody that took the Bible and they made it mean something that it didn't mean? So I do not watch this show and I do not think that you should either because I have certain feelings about these people. I I love them in the Lord. I pray for them. I wish they would be saved, but they're just people. But the only reason I watch this was because I go through YouTube sometimes and when someone says something about the Bible... It draws me in, okay? So this is The View and Whoopi Goldberg. Theologian Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. And so she made a statement about the Bible, and I didn't even know what Bible she was right, reading. It wasn't mine, right? And so she made this statement about the Bible, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And what she did in that moment in her and I'm just going to put it out there, in her ignorance to bring in the Christian people, when she said something about the Bible that wasn't true, that looked like Jesus to her, but wasn't Jesus at all. It wasn't the Jesus that we served. Are you tracking? So sometimes we do that too in our arguments. We, we go to the Bible and we take the scripture and we superimpose it into the situation. And really, that's not what the scripture meant. See, you can superimpose anything on people. For instance, I have, and this shouldn't be shocking, I have um, Project Apollo. Like when they went to the moon, this is really a cool thing. I don't know how they took these pictures on the moon like this. (laughs) Maybe it was in the desert. Okay, so (laughs) that was a joke. That was a joke. I think we went to the moon. Okay, so you project sometimes who you are and what you're thinking. This is actually them returning to the earth right there, okay? And then right here is actually the capsule. See, and they're them coming out of it. It doesn't look real, does it? I'm asking you. I can't tell that. You can't see it? Yeah. But you're close to yeah, it. But, yeah. I don't but have I, much neck. But I'm projecting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm projecting it on you. you can't. Anyway, we project ourselves onto other people. All right? So the point of this is this. When you have a civil war going on inside of you, more times than not, And probably 99.9% of the time, in fact, all the time, I'll just have to say all the time, you're projecting that civil war into your situation onto other people. And James is saying, don't do that. You're quarreling because you're fighting a war inside of you, 
he is going to tell us that we need to settle the war inside of us before we handle the things outside of us. We think that because we use Jesus' name, that that is what we are projecting. But actually, to project God into the situation is to just project light. Now, everybody in the room can see that. It's not fuzzy. It's very clear. And when you are actually projecting God and his light into a situation, nobody misses it at all. Because it's not you, it's him. And you can only do this if you have settled the civil war that is inside of you. That's the only way you can do it. So give Brad, thank you, Brad, for you say. All right. So, um, how do we do that? So let's go to Wednesday, okay? I know I skipped Tuesday. You, you don't want to hear all that, all right? You don't want to hear Tuesday. We're going to Wednesday, okay? So Wednesday. Here's what happened on Wednesday. It was verse 7, <clears throat> and this is what it says. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. So how do I settle the, the war inside of me? And the first step is to, to submit myself to God. Now, this particular word in Scripture is not the normal word for submit. This particular word in the Greek means to declare allegiance to, not to bow down, but to declare allegiance to. So my first step in settling the war inside of me is to make a declaration of allegiance to God. I declare my allegiance to God. I declare my allegiance to God and God only and nothing else. I forsake any allegiance that I might have with myself, what I think would be right, what I think the situation should get to in, in my life. Any belief that I have, I, I totally reject all of that, and my sole allegiance is to God and what he wants for my life and how he wants to deal with me on the inside. This civil war that's going on inside of me, I pledge allegiance to God that he will take control of this civil war and cause peace to happen. I declare my allegiance to God. So James says the war within you is because you have your flag and you're saying, I'm, I'm over here with this group that represents this flag. Or I'm over here with this group and represents this flag. And James says, no, 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 no. Declare your allegiance to God and God alone and quit putting up all these other flags. Amen? Just quit doing it. So your first step to settle you down on the inside is say, I declare that I am dedicated to God and God alone. And listen, God wants this for you. God wants this for you. Look at verse 5. It says this, <clears throat> um, Or do you suppose that it is no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? God is jealous. So when I started thinking about this, I was like, okay, jealous what is the difference between jealous and envy? What is the difference between jealous and envy? So just right up front, I would just like your permission just to go with this illustration. There is nothing going on 
at all. This is just an illustration. I just can't think of a different way to, to say this. Like in my devotions, this is what I actually thought. So I just want to share that with you. Is everybody cool? All right. Envy would be this, okay? Nicole and I are married, correct? Yes, we are. 26 years, trust me, I know better than you do, okay? We are married. Envy is this. Envy is me being married and wanting someone else's wife. Now, I don't, okay? This is just an illustration. That is envy. I want someone else's right. wife. Jealousy is this. It's if Nicole has placed her attention on someone else. I become jealous because she is mine. Now, this isn't happening, but this is a great illustration of how God, who is always in Scripture, referred to in the male gender, relates to his bride, the church. He is jealous for you because you are his possession. You're his possession. Now listen, let's not talk about how Nicole made a mistake 26 years ago in a moment of weakness and she chose me. Let's not talk about that. But she stuck with me now, okay? God, on the other hand, did not make a mistake when he chose you. And you did not make a mistake when you chose him. And when you go off the deep end or you start having your attention on someone else more than him, he is jealous because your attention should be totally upon him. You should be faithful to that relationship, to that covenant that you made with him when you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is everybody with me? And it hurts the heart of God more than it hurt you for me to tell you that illustration. Right? And so he is jealous for you. He wants this for you. He wants you to declare allegiance to him and him alone. He wants you to live for him because he wants to be a part of your life. And when you submit and declare allegiance, he's on board with you. Does this make sense? And it settles down what's inside. So verse 7 continues. It goes on, it says this, <clears throat> resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not today, Satan, right? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you shouldn't say that in the middle of Walmart, okay? But maybe that's something that you need to make a part of your car ride when you're alone or when you're, you're at home and, and you, the turmoil is there and, and you know there's a war inside of you, you tell Satan, not today, not today, Satan. I'm resisting you. Get out of my thought life. Get out of my heart. Get out of my life. Go, 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 go away. And you know what the Bible says here? You have the power to tell Satan where to go. You have the power to tell the devil where to go. He has to flee when you resist him. And sometimes inside of us, well, all the time, Satan loves to churn whatever's inside of us to make that civil war go on and on and on. And sometimes we just have to step up and say, not today, Satan, get out of here. You need to go somewhere else. I need peace inside of me. 
I am resisting you in this moment. I'm not going to have those thoughts. I'm not going to go after that person. I'm not going to continue this civil war. Get out of my thought life. And he has to flee. Allegiance to God, resist the devil. And then it continues. Okay? He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So this means that we have to deliberately cultivate a relationship with God. I have to be deliberate in my cultivation of my relationship with God. I have to be. If you're not deliberate, it's not going to happen. So I, I do, I have a devotional regiment that I go through each morning. I do it every morning. There are some mornings, though, that it's more difficult to do it than other days. You wake up, you're a little tired. Have you ever, like I've read through scripture, I'm not going to ask you, I, I've read through scripture before and was like, okay, I didn't even think about what I was reading in that moment. And you have to go back. Like the diligence is going back and reading it again. And then there's some passages that you're like, I don't really understand what this means, but at least I thought about it. Don't understand what it means in this moment. God is not revealing that to me. But this is what happens when you wrestle with the text like that. You are drawing near to God, and God is drawing near to you, even though you don't understand what you just read. When you take the effort to get to know him, he is going to meet you to have that relationship, to help you with that relationship with him. Let me show you how this works. Step number one, God decided that we needed a savior so that he could have a relationship with us. So he sent Jesus to the cross. He rose the third day, rose again, and he provided a way of salvation. Step number two, he sent his spirit to you to draw him to himself. So he had two steps in the process. Step number three, you had to do something. You had to either accept him or reject him. You had to say, I'm sorry for my sins and please be my savior, or you just rejected the whole thing. That's what happened. So he started the process, and then you receive Jesus as a Savior. And then what Jesus does, what God does is he saves you. In that moment, he saves you. But then he waits on you. He waits on you to develop that relationship with him. Because your, your a job right now is to have a dedicated devotional time with God to develop that relationship with him. You draw near to him so that he will draw near to you. You're saved, you're ready, but he wants you to take a step to get closer to him and he will get closer to you. That's how that works. And so you've declared your allegiance, you said, Satan, get out of here, and you're drawing close to God. And as you draw closer and closer to God, his peace begins to reign inside of you, begins to reign in your soul, and the civil war gets to be less and less and less and less. It is a beautiful, miraculous spiritual thing. It's absolutely amazing. So that deliberately this changes you on your inside. And then finally, for Thursday, <clears throat> 8 says, 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. This is the moment that you can truly repent. You and I have always had something that we need to ask repentance for. And I'm going to give it to you. It's pride. At any moment, any part of the day, you can actually stop and repent of pride. Pride is something that we repent of in the morning, in the noontime, and in the evening because it's always there trying to get into our hearts and into our actions. See, sometimes you project your pride onto people, not your humility. Sometimes you project your pride onto people, not God. And it's the moment where we say, Lord, I'm sorry for my prideful heart. I'm sorry that I thought I was better than you. I'm sorry that I treated that particular situation. I'm sorry that that was inside of me. Please forgive me because I don't want that civil war to begin. I want peace. And it's in that moment that you begin to actually shine God, well, God shines through you onto other people. And instead of projecting anger, instead of projecting the devil onto people, you really begin to project God into your situation. And what you will find is that the conflict on the outside dies down just like the conflict on the inside came to a peaceful resolution within you. You will never have peaceful resolutions unless you're at peace within yourself. Wow. That's amazing teaching, isn't it? Amazing. So here's Thursday. Okay? And don't go to the next slide yet. And Thursday has to do uh, with verse 10, and then I just jump back up to verse 6 that day. So verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. See, in most conflicts, you and I try to exalt ourselves as the one that's going to be on the winning team. Right? Because we're trying to win. We push ourselves to be on the winning team. God says, humble yourselves before the Lord, like we just talked about, and he, in his time, will exalt you. Let him exalt you in the situation. Don't you go around doing it yourself. Let me tell you, he does exalt you in, in, in the situation. He does. It's not like we think it is, like the exaltation, but he does it. And so we want that. We humble our hearts so that he will exalt us. Verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Wow, he gives more grace. There's a lot of things in this life that we can run out of, but his grace is not one of them. It never, ever ends. Never ends. Verse 6 continues to say, Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's why I'm telling you to repent of pride often, because you want that to go away, because God gives grace to the humble, and we need his grace. Amen? So just two screens of what I wrote down in my little journal, okay? And the first one really humbles my heart. I hope it does yours, but it really humbles my heart when I think about this. And here it is. Even when we don't act right, God is still jealous for us, 
God still yearns for us, and God stills, still yearns to dwell with us, even when we don't act right. God is still jealous. He still yearns. He still wants to dwell with us. Isn't that an amazing thing? I'm not doing right, but he still wants to be with me. I'm not living right, but he still wants to live with me. That, that humbles my heart because I know I don't deserve it. Really, God should spank all of us. You know? It should be some type of woodshed or the church property. We just know. He just takes us out there, right? Right? And we all know that God's taking us because somebody gets pulled like this and we can't see this person pull it over. They go into the woodshed. That's what God should be doing. You should be spanking us all the time. But no, he's still jealous. He still yearns. He still wants to dwell with us even when we don't act right. And then here's the final thing. A lot of people want to humble you by putting you in your place. But God wants you to humble your heart so he can work through you in your space. There's a lot of people that want to put other people in their place, and that is the wrong attitude. We should humble our hearts so that God can work through us in our space. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, and that is the solution. That's the solution. Quiet the civil war inside of you so that you don't project that into your life and your situation. Calm down. Run to God, and he will bring the peace that you so earnestly desire in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank